0: We don't have a men's health policy. We don't have a Minister for Men's Health. Men dominate the stats in suicide. 95% of workplace deaths are men. 93% of military deaths are men. Men dominate in heart disease, prostate cancer, road deaths, incarceration, less likely to complete education, postnatal depression. However, in this year's federal budget, I think something like 10 billion went towards women's health. Zero to men.
1: hello and welcome welcome to another episode of the finding equilibrium show delighted to be here delighted you're here and delighted that my guest today is ray bonnie and uh good morning Ray. it's so lovely to to see you it feels like we've been talking for ages and uh you're busy i'm busy yeah. and then finally here we are having a Having a conversation. So Ray is a um, men's health and mental health specialist, and um, you know it's such a, a, a super interesting area. You know, as a man myself, obviously, um, I am very interested in this topic. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with you, Ray, and the work that that, that you do, I'd love you to take a moment uh, or two just to introduce um, yourself more formally to the um, to the audience.
0: Well, thanks, Lawrence, and also thank you for inviting me today as well. We have been having these extended conversations, and uh, likewise, I've been watching you running all over the world doing amazing work in workplaces, and uh, and it's kind of how we met, because a lot of the work that I do, are typically I'm found in workplace environments, so my sweet spot is definitely high-risk, male-dominated, blue-collar environments construction, mining, manufacturing. I'm actually at a manufacturing plant today at Chobani. They make very wonderful yoghurt. So we might be interrupted by a few milk trucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I really love those environments. I, um, I'm i often invited in when uh, somebody's killed themselves in the workplace or has died in a workplace uh, tragedy. And I perform all of the crisis management and trauma management stuff to you know ensure business as usual and but also you know to have that enormous privilege of of working with people at such a vulnerable time and often there that will lead for me to help organizations develop that higher end policy and strategy around mental health in the workplace and everything in between so anything that touches a human condition in the workplace I, I love getting involved in and I was very lucky uh, back in about 2014 to be a consulting with Beyond Blue when they did a amazing world-first research into uh, developing a return on investment strategy around uh, why organisations should invest in the mental health of their people in workplace with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And, uh, you know, I was involved in that at the time. So really front and centre to that early Um, adoption of really addressing workplace mental health and it was just such an amazing time to be traveling around Australia and talking to workplaces about their attitudes towards mental health and using this amazing body of research to to justify why um, doing something about it will definitely hit the bottom line because that's what businesses want to know about right (laughs) so uh, i learned a lot from that and very grateful to Beyond blue for uh, inviting me to be part of that that evolutionary piece um and from there i i actually became an ambassador for beyond blue and i'm about to hit my 10-year anniversary of being an ambassador so congratulations amazing (laughs) thank you i'm very lucky you know um I've spoken, it feels like thousands of events, thousands of (laughs) hours, definitely thousands of people uh, where I'm able to tell my story. Uh, But I also, I'm also uh, the vice president of the Australian Men's Health Forum and we're the peak body here for men's health in Australia and do a lot of work around uh, trying to encourage our government to develop policy and strategy for men's health, because at the moment we don't have a men's health policy. We don't have a a funded men's health strategy. We don't have a minister for men's health. Uh, We actually invest nothing um, into men's health specifically. So if you imagine, you know, the the, the rates of of things like, you know, suicide men dominate the stats in suicide. 95% of workplace deaths are men. 93% 93% of military deaths are men, men dominate in heart disease, prostate cancer, women can't get prostate cancer, uh, road deaths, incarceration, less likely to uh, complete education, I could go on and on, postnatal depression, it's, it's incredible the amount of things that affect men's health However, you know, in this year's federal budget, I think something like 10 billion went towards women's health, zero to men. So, zero. zero. I mean, men men will be funded in certain things that are generic, but specific stuff, like, you know, uh, male suicide, for example, will not get specific funding.
1: What, what, why is that? So let's kind of jump into this as a topic. I mean, it's a couple of, there's a couple of um, questions uh, that I have um, mm. around, uh, before we jump into that, because I'm, I'm curious to start why you personally are so passionate about men's health um, and what kind of took you in that direction. And then yeah. uh, in, then I'd love to understand more about the narrative, because it seems extraordinary um, that um, the level of funding is so um, so out of balance.
0: Mm. And that's a global thing as well. That's not just here in Australia. but I guess you know, my reason for sitting here today, ever since I can remember, I've had a, a fascination. Uh, for people I just love watching everything about the human condition and that's why I never tire for what I do because every time I meet a new person it's like (laughs) unwrapping a present but you know unfortunately I was raised in a really uh, traumatic environment where men were perpetrators of of things that made my life very very difficult and you know growing up in that environment it was was terrifying and, and very very traumatizing and I Um, I did get out of there at a very young age Um, but I remember coming out of that environment with this real sense of what happened to them to make them do that to me which I feel really fortunate I mean I had a certain amount of um, you know being a victim of that as well and and that attitude and you know on that as I um developed relationships with with men very good men by the way you know I was still very broken and very confused about who I was and what had happened uh, around me and so therefore I was very um violent in my relationships towards men and behaved very very badly um and you know back then no one was talking about mental health or behaviors so I was able to slip under the radar quite a bit not the and that I was in relationships with. Um, however, it took me, you know, not too long, fortunately, to realise the common denominator in all the things that were negatively affecting my life, and certainly the um, demise of all of my relationships. You know, I was that common denominator, and had to um, have a time of reflection that was very humiliating and and shameful. Uh, to reflect on my behaviours and understand what was going on. So um, I guess coupled with my fascination for people and my experience of men, I also had very good men in my life and uncle and, you know, a few other men that have been great influencers in my life who have really helped me understand masculinity and that masculinity is beautiful our uh, masculinity is vulnerable and it's sweet, it's caring, it's generous, it's all these wonderful things that we, we don't we don't speak about. We only tend to attach toxic mm-hmm. to masculinity. Uh so that's in a nutshell, that is where what led me to have this interest in men's health, but also the stats that I just described to you. The, the gaps for men and a lot of the well, a lot of these things lead to the inevitable suicide. So why wouldn't we be doing something about this? Uh, it's a real opportunity because men are leaving women, they're leaving daughters, they're leaving nieces. you know, it, it affects absolutely everybody. So my work certainly is not to the exclusion of women, it's for the inclusion of everybody thank you for listening to my reasons for being here today
1: no and thank you for sharing that so it's really it's like when I listen to you um uh speak you know I hear that you've almost gone through the so you've seen you've been come face to face with the toxic mass masculinity but you were able through your own journey to almost step outside of that and look at the reasons that were really creating that and get a much more balanced perspective of uh, that
0: you well know, and I would have to interrupt and say you know I the word toxic masculinity doesn't sit with me very well because these men and many other men, um, it's it's masculinity that that exists. But if somebody is broken and somebody has been traumatized or how we we behave in a way where there's an outcome for that. So it's got nothing to do with masculinity, and we can talk about that later when we talk about how boys are being raised. Mm. How um how that can turn into behaviours that are not conducive to um, good outcomes.
1: Mm, no, thank you, thank you for that. So, so let's talk about the narrative and um, and the narrative and, and what's really, I guess, driving the um, the allocation of resources in terms of supporting um, supporting men at this present point in time.
0: Mm. It's a a really, really big conversation, Um, and I'm going to speak very anecdotally from my own experience. So, um, you know, many people may agree to disagree with me, but, you know, you think about uh, the domestic violence industry because it is an industry. It makes a lot of money and it gets a lot of attention. But domestic violence here in Australia and around the world is only a woman's issue and occasionally a children's issue and men only being perpetrators. So we look at, you know, uh, even crisis services like Men's Line or 1-800-RESPECT, it's all very female focused. And the assumption always is that a man has been a perpetrator. Even if a man presents with injuries and experiences of violence, it's the the first port of call will be, okay, what did you do in this situation to, to make that happen? So I think that because this domestic violence industry has become so big coupled with the Me Too movement, and this, again, is only my my experience and a small part of it, but we're just hearing this over and over and over again. It's just perpetuating this attitude and this this experience that people are almost having through the media of men where we are believing it. And so, therefore, if governments, I mean, you think about, you know, politics. Politics is politics and that's what runs our governments and then there's money attached to that. It's not very sexy for us to be apportioning money to men when the assumption is that, you know, white male privilege, the patriarchy, um, domestic violence, all of these things that men don't deserve anything. Why do men need anything when they already rule the world? They mm. take all the jobs and... Um, they're terrible. They're, you know we we need to fear men. So, um for a government to be popular, they're not going to be allocating a lot of attention to men. And again, that's my experience, and that's that's my thoughts. so, um and and that's a small part of it.
1: It's interesting, but those, those statistics that you shared are, you know, they're factual, so you can't ignore them. So just they're the, real because they did. Yeah, did completely. So when you look at workplaces, um, are you seeing it gradually changing? Um, because the suicides, the prostate cancer, the, um, you know, the uh, the mental health issues that that you're experiencing are, are real and are affecting families, are affecting communities. Um, are you seeing a gradual shift in terms of allocating um, resources towards, um, towards men's, men's health?
0: I am, Lawrence, and, you know, I feel so incredibly proud to be part of this shift as well because, it, you know, I've been banging on about this in earnest for a good 13 years and to begin with, not at all. But, you know, even sitting here at Chabani, you know, Chobani are an amazing organisation who really invest in their people? Like you know, talking about that Beyond Blue return on investment strategy, they actually genuinely genuinely engage me to care for their people. So it's not a, a a box tick. It's they're very very transparent in the way that they they care for their people, and it has a definite outcome because we're able to collect data. I I also recently um, was very very lucky to do a a, a, a national roadshow around Australia and and parts of New Zealand for a civil construction organisation who are another one of my clients. So, you know, the whole month of Safe Work Month as part of their operations review was literally going out into the field of civil construction, you know, bridge building, water treatment, and standing with men in the dirt and talking to them about their health, their mental health, their physical health. And it was just so incredibly inspiring to see how men have each other's back, to see how men are, are truly vulnerable. And I was able to collect a lot of data out of that um, you know, month-long event through, you know, and quite a few hundred men. And what came out was just men have such an appetite to really care for themselves, but actually don't feel like they have permission and the resources aren't there. So Um, You know, we talk about male suicide, you know, the assumption is that men are experiencing mental health problems and therefore kill themselves, whereas most male suicide is not attributable to a mental health problem. But um, what I call the trifecta trifecta in, um, uh, in a crisis is relationship breakdown, followed by financial distress, followed by custody issues with kids. And again, when I was out in the field, I heard the same story over and over again, coupled with domestic violence issues of men being violated. I just had to qualify that in case we were confused there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know for a fact that there were five men who had a plan to kill themselves during this month-long event who are still now here. So that's your investment. And it's creating an environment that supports good mental health, safety, and dignity and pride. Not telling men what to do, but as I said, you know, preserving that dignity and pride, and and most of all the masculinity. Men will talk. Men will cry. Men will open up, and men will seek help. That's the kind of environments that we need to be creating and and investing in.
1: I, I completely agree. So so when you look at um the other end if you like raising boys because it starts um, and as, as children Um wh- what do we do like how can we change the narrative because what you described um, is very much the mainstream narrative and the way a lot of people will think because they're hearing it all the time you know they're mm. hearing it and it's in their it's in their minds so uh, and if you keep hearing it it forms your beliefs and um, if we're suddenly starting to change it and your experience and i'm certainly experiencing um, a similar thing uh, a, a kind of a new like an emotional um Shift in men who are uh, who, and use the word permission. Um, and I think a lot of it is about giving men permission to recognize that we have emotions. And um, if we have emotions, we have to express those emotions somehow. Um, and it does start as children. And um, you know, your boy, the way I was brought up, you're very much there was a belief that, you know, boys don't cry. And you know, and, you, and it becomes part of who you are until you get to a point in time when something kind of shifts and you think, well, maybe that belief isn't actually true and maybe mm. there is a different way and it's through the men's uh, table that i'm part of the men's sheds that you know those types of groups that you do suddenly and um, as a man become exposed to um different narratives and it starts to chip away Um but from a child like as a parent how do you create and raise healthy boys you know so that boys do grow up in a more balanced way and are able to um appreciate the masculinity appreciate you know who they are as people and um, so that we are creating healthier men healthier communities healthier families you know and all of the things that we see as problems and become um in much smaller parts of our of our culture and our society i'd love your perspective on on mm. raising boys
0: mm. Thanks to us, you know, I get a little bit emotional when I talk about this. I, I have two boys myself. That, I know, I feel emotional great. to be honest,
1: you know. But I think you know, crying, is yeah, it's not great, but it really does. No, you know. it is. It's, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. I just <laughs> have to like, so <laughs> I don't record my
0: makeup.
1: You know. No, no, I know, I, you know. But it, it, it is a big problem, and you know, it is an emotion. And like, you know what you said before about um the five men who are still here. You know that, of course, is you know we're talking about life and death here. You know, we're not mm-hmm. talking about some nice to have you know we are talking about people who exist who feel that their life isn't worth living for whatever reason and Mm -hmm. if you can prevent that and there's many stories you know i've heard many stories of people who got to the edge of the cliff but didn't jump off and of course become you know stronger beings because Mm -hmm. of it and so and they're the stories that we, we you know we do need to um you know um we do need to share um, but it is that's a, right.
0: But in answer know. to your question, I think, you know, and this isn't for everyone also, because there are people that raise their boys so beautifully. Oh however, I think generally boys' feelings and safety is quite disposable. And we we when we're talking about raising boys, there's this idea that we drag boys up, <laughs> you know, we drag them up. <laughs> but it, it's it's how we show boys because I'm pretty certain boys don't come out of their mothers not having emotion or not seeking help or not caring about themselves. They're actually shown not to. And we still, it, it doesn't matter how, I, I hear it all the time, don't cry Uh, I heard of a five-year-old boy the other day during this roadshow. The mother told me that his school teacher, when he's five in prep, became emotional and the teacher told him not to cry but blink instead. So if he blinks, he's not going to cry. And then he couldn't stop crying, so she banished him to a classroom somewhere to to stop crying. So, you know, we're still doing this. But, you know, safety as well. Boys are taught from a very early age to not... Uh, to not hurt girls. Let's just simplify it. But there's no reverse of that. There's no gender swap for that, that girls have to be respectful of boys. And, you know, I was watching an episode of The Block this year, that um, house thing, and I pulled this clip out and I actually put it on social media. And this is such a great example of reversing genders. One of the contestants is running after her partner going, Tom, I'm gonna F and punch your F and face in if you don't, whatever. If you reverse the genders on that, it would never have. I mean, it, he would be in jail, for example. <laughs> it's, it's <true. laughs> um, or you know, yesterday I was I was seeing a client and he was talking about. Um, when he was a little boy, he had the most wonderful Italian grandmother who he loved so much. And he said she used to get really angry at times, and she'd beat me, she'd belt me, once she'd beat me over the head with a fry pan. She was a, a, such a strong, amazing woman. And I said, think about what you just said, <laughs> reverse the genders. If that was a grandfather doing that to a granddaughter, different. So we actually have to change our attitudes and and show boys that they are important human beings and they are worthy of care and they're worthy of respect and you know even in sports sport sporting culture here in australia is huge and you see you know afl the more injured you are and you keep playing you know that makes you so heroic and you're even more admired whereas you know that's actually um self-harm that's actually (laughs) self-harm playing on a broken foot
1: yeah it is
0: <laughs> so it's um we changing how we see things or you know and, and the media instill a lot of this stuff as well in um in what we deem as being sexy or being right so um the so grandmother should not hit their their grandkids <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> even corporal punishment i one of my best friends in the whole world ken lyons he's 98 and i went with him to um caulfield grammar carols night the other night and i got a bit curious because i'm very inquisitive and i sort of did a bit of research you know back into what school would have been like you know for ken lyons in the 1930s you know and i learned that they're in queensland and Western Australia, corporal punishment is still legal.
1: Really? Yes. Today, really? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, know when I went to school, you know, <laughs> they still had the cane and the strap and everything, only for boys, not for girls. But it is still happening. Really? I'm, I'm, I'm Do you think surprised? that the, the shame and the humiliation <laughs> and all the things that go on with that is mm. still happening?
1: happening i'm shocked that it's happening yeah, today me
0: too yeah
1: Go like so 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 where do we go from here so when you look at me- men's health and me- men's mental health i know that yeah. you're going to see lots of different um you know lots of different problems but what mm-hmm. can what can we do because we can't change the media we can't change the narrative but we can change the way we think about things and the way we communicate to our own children and um, mm-hmm. just really catching ourselves um in terms of trying to have a more balanced uh, view so that people are respectful of each other whether they're male or, or, or female and that it doesn't get out of you know out of balance um in yeah. terms of um in terms of um fulfilling some of these um outdated stereotypes let's say in terms of how yeah. a, a boy should be or how a man should be so that we can create more balanced um more, more balanced uh, people but when you look through the work that you do and you see the um you know, at the coalface, so to speak, the mental health challenges. Um, what, what are you seeing, like, help us understand how those um, challenges manifest themselves um, and what we can do to support um, boys and men uh, in a, you know, in a, in a better way?
0: Mm. There's about a million ways I could answer that. Um, but I think one thing I love about human beings is um our ability to adapt. And you know, you look at COVID, for example, you know, things changed very, very quickly. And the human condition rallied and it adapted. And you know, we you know traditionally we look at the human condition back in the day we would we'd be very excited about our IQ and measuring our IQ and what that meant. And then you know it was a little bit longer after that that we realized that, you know, IQ was one thing, but we needed to measure EQ as well to be able to bring IQ to life. So EQ being your emotional quotient. And then once that was established, then things were making a bit more sense. But the thing we actually always miss is our AQ, and that's our adaptability and agility quotient. So that's how we're so flexible. So we're smart or not, and we're emotional or we're not. But how do we actually then flex through life with that? So measuring how adaptable and agile we are is also really important. And I hearken back, you know, I was sort of around, you know, I started in the workforce in the very very early eighties when there was no address to health and safety at all, nothing formal. And um, and then watching how that sort of came to life when we started bringing in OHS and WHS and all of these measurements and. Um, and boundaries, you know, for, for care. And I remember, uh, you know, I, was, I think I was working at Black & Decker at the time and um, and then later on ICI and it was sort of like, this is bullshit, like no one's ever going to be wearing this high-vis shit, you know, <laughs> like really? And now look at us, you know, you go on a work site without it and you, people are panicking. Um, so that's changed. You know, I've, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, people would throw their rubbish out the window of <sighs> their car. You know, you would never do that now. (laughs) Change is possible. The smoking debate when every restaurant in the world was going to shut down if people couldn't smoke in them never happened. Hospitality is actually (laughs) tripled in size. So that gives me hope, you know, and I thank you again for inviting me on your podcast because anytime somebody says, can you open your mouth and talk about this, like, the answer is yes uh, because that makes the change. And I was speaking at an event at Royal Melbourne Golf Club the other day um, at the Australian Women's Golf Network and they didn't really know what I was going to talk about. (laughs) I thought, here we go, this is going to be very interesting. And I spoke to them as I'm speaking to you now with as much passion and um, ferociousness as I could and they loved it because they'd never heard it, they didn't know about it. Because, again, so seduced by our media and the the narrative, afterwards I heard, you know, stories about my dad actually killed himself and it wasn't until you spoke that I realised there could have been so much more we could have done, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's where change happens is when we take the time to, you know, open our mouth respectfully and thoughtfully and show people what is possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's through education, through sharing, and um, that we are chipping away at that.
0: Yep. At and that. challenging the narrative, really yeah. challenging it.
1: Yeah, com- com- completely. Yeah wonderful we're almost out of time so i've got really <laughs> yeah believe it's gone go, so fast it goes it goes so fast but yeah. i mean we 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 talk we talk a lot about balance um, and this podcast is called the find an equilibrium uh show and i i, I guess i have one uh one last question that i ask all of my guests and it's what does find an equilibrium mean to mean to you and um, personally and and you know, well, that, that's probably the question. And the, the second part is, um, what do you do to, to keep yourself in balance, and given all of your responsibilities and the um, the, the, the change uh, that you're driving? You know, bit by bit. And um, what what do you do to find your own equilibrium each and every day?
0: Hmm. Each and every day is different for me, but um, I live with chronic depression and anxiety, and, and often suicidal thoughts, um, you know, as a result of, of my childhood trauma. So for me to manage everything, I have to do that really thoughtfully and very, very carefully, and sometimes I don't do it very well at all um, and will have to work very, very hard um, to ensure that I keep some kind of balance and some kind of level of energy that I can continue turning up because I am self-employed and this is a space where, you know, I rely on my voice and my brain and my body um, to get things done. So I'm (laughs) one thing I've sort of realized in the last few years is who I surround myself with is really important because we have a certain energy about that. And, um, you know, we're chemical beings, so we have reactions to each other and, you know, I'm the kind of person who, you know, my natural baseline. I talked about depression and anxiety and suicidality, but my natural baseline is happiness. Like I'm a happy, buoyant, positive person by nature. Um, However, managing my little ecosystem when I'm out working and presenting, you know, people will see that version of me, which which is real. However, socially, I'm incredibly anxious so I don't like going out socially I don't like small talk I find it really really awkward but people won't accept that in me because I'm not like that because um I got told once but you wear red lipsticks like, <laughs> like that, that's a true story <laughs> and you yeah. wear bright colors <laughs> So like wow so you know a couple of years ago I sort of made a decision that I was going to be very really turn up and be very authentic to my community and say, I can't do that because so this year, I've recently had an experience of somebody who said, Ray, you've got to come to this event because it's going to be so much fun and I really want you to come with me. And I said, I'm sorry I can't because I, I don't want to go out at night time. I mean, I, I've always had a problem with alcohol growing up. So I don't like being around alcohol a lot. Um And I said, no, I can't. So this person said to me, no, you have to. I really need to push you out of your comfort zone and get you out of this. And I said, get fucked. You do not need to push me. I'm way out of my comfort zone most days and I'm fine with that. But please don't tell me what I need because I know what I need and I know what I need to, to be safe and I know what I need to be healthy. And that means I've transferred my nights when people have a nightlife. That's my morning. So I get up at five in the morning. I walk my dog. I meet people in the park. I have a chat. Um, I do all of that. That's, that's how I reverse my life to manage. So my message, I think, to anyone who's listening, when people are trying to tell you what they need to be healthy and safe, please believe them. Don't try and railroad them into what you want them to do, you know, um, Lawrence have another piece of cake and Lawrence is like I'm a secret diabetic like no no Ray I can't come on Lawrence just have it you know because mm. that's because I want to so check in with yourself people mm. if it's about what you want just leave it I
1: think that's awesome advice yeah because I think our intentions are often good but we're not actually thinking about the impact of uh, no. of, of those uh, those intentions, Golly Ray. I I feel we need to come back for part two because it's such a, <laughs> a such a big topic and uh, we've just scratched the surface. But um, I'd love to acknowledge you first of all for the work that you do and for raising uh, awareness of something because it's always hard when there's a you know a big narrative and you're actually and um, you've got a different narrative that you're actually sharing but um i take a lot of comfort too with those stories because it's only after a long period of time that you look back so over 20 years and you realize how f- things do change big things do change it's just they take a long while but they start with people like you who are passionate and championing um a different way of thinking uh which eventually um catches uh catches on and then you look back and you think wow did people actually really actually believe that in the time of course they did you know and uh yeah. There was a time when it was normal to smoke in the offices. And um, if you suggested that someone did not then it was like, you know, yeah. we- weirdo. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but now, of course, you know, it's completely the opposite. So the context mm. and the time really, um, really does um, you know, it really does make a difference. And we've, uh, you know, we've gone through this period and we're out of balance as a society and we're ignoring, you know, 50% of society effectively and um, mm. because of where resources are allocated. But bit by bit, I'm sure we'll start to see that rebalance and we'll start to, you know, have a lot more um, appreciation of the value that men and women and um, families and communities really um really play in supporting our total health you know as well as our our mental health where can people find more about you get in touch you know work with you i'd love to know you know how you help organizations to um to support their um you know their 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 um their employees
0: oh thank you for asking uh you can just uh google me ray bonney that's R-A-E-B-O-N-E-Y, Uh. You'll find me on YouTube. Uh, I have a um, a radio show every month, which I'm going to air this this Sunday, and interviewing a, an amazing man who does a lot of work in um, in solo parenting um, for men, and uh, he's got a lot of great things to um, talk about there. So uh, that's on ninety four point one FM, three WBC. Um, So Ray Bonney at YouTube, or if you just Google uh, Ray Bonney, you'll find my website that will tell you a lot of information about um, what I do in workplace, in advocacy, in men's health, as public speaking. And I also have a private practice as well, where I work one-on-one with a whole range of people, not just men, helping people make sense of their lives. In fact, I don't help and I don't give advice. They're two things I don't do, but I can (sighs) get work out your jigsaw puzzle for you um but uh thank you please getting please get in touch or you can email me at ray at raybonnie.com everything's got my name attached to it. it's easy
1: amazing well thank you ray thank you for spending time with us thank you for sharing and um, and thank you everyone for listening thank you for your attention and we will see you next time